What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. And for those of you watching, instead of listening, got a couple different backgrounds going on. Uh, where are you these days? Man, I'm in Pittsburgh right now visiting family. I usually, you know, I'm not a curtains guy like behind me like that. But uh, yeah, man, pay no attention to the man in front of the curtain. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my what about favorite, you? One of my oh. favorite episodes of uh, ours is... <laughs> The infamous one where your mom made the cameo that was uh... <laughs> yo so it's hilarious man like there's this um first of all i'm not a blogger i've never been a blogger i'm a 20-year you know entertainment music journalist who's primarily worked in hip-hop but there's all i don't know if you know like there's this stigma of like quote-unquote bloggers living in their mom's basement so it's just poetic <laughs> justice that i've done a few of these episodes when i'm uh you know visiting family um <laughs> so yeah man super hot fire on me i'm not a rapper man I'm not a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> what about you man where are you at i'm in uh la man uh it's a beautiful day yesterday just you know checking out the scenes uh yeah so good just just in a hotel room posting up you know dope man you getting your uh ll cool j going back to cali vignette of all the different uh cool spots out there exactly yeah yeah yesterday was cheat day man so i had all the trappings it was great man yeah for those that don't know reggie is the most disciplined uh person when it comes to diet and fitness i've ever met and uh yeah but his cheat days man it's like that scene you know where the fat boys walk into sabaro all you can eat man you know <laughs> it's sure. impressive you know absolutely that's a great that's a great reference man um yo shout out to our 1984 podcast we talked about uh that being the greatest argued that, that was one of the greatest years in hip-hop that brought crush groove right and um or actually crush Groove was 85 but the fat boys and run dmc and a lot of that great stuff man so. absolutely man the year i was born too so there you go. And yeah, man, rest in peace to, you know, uh, Buffy and Prince Marky D. Yeah. And speaking of 80, uh, this is our 80th episode. Absolutely, man. It, it feels like, you know, it's crazy, too, because it was springtime 2020. Um, you and I started What's the Headline on a Whim, man. You texted me and you're like, hey, you know, all this stuff is going on. I kind of miss talking about hip hop and we have a platform. And it doesn't feel like 80 episodes, but I am so proud, man. Look at how far we've come. Yeah, it's dope, man. It's dope. Thank everyone who's rocked with us, whether it's one episode or or 80. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. Yeah. So, yo, uh, great week in hip hop. A lot of stuff to talk about. Um, let's get the, let's get this out of the way uh, so we can get into the, the 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 more meaty stuff. But Will Smith, we didn't talk a ton about it last week because it already had been beaten to death in the press. But latest development is he was banned um, for 10 years from the Academy. He can't attend the Oscars. He can be nominated. He can win. He just can't attend uh, or vote or anything like that. What do you think about that? Yeah, man, I um, I think it's a bit extreme. I think the whole thing um, is just blown a lot out of proportion. And you know, I know I use this catchphrase a lot. I say this as a as a white guy, but I feel like, you know, would the same type of punishment or consequences have existed for others, you know, and, and there are Academy Award winners, there's legendary filmmakers, actors who have done, you know, illegal, crazy, heinous things um, that have never been handed down this type of penalty. So just comparing one to the other, especially in the wake of what happened to Kevin Hart uh, four years ago and those, 
you know, that discourse, right or wrong, it's just a very interesting kind of touchstone moment. That's my take. What's yours? I'm going to go the exact opposite on this one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think it's a completely meaningless thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most important thing is he, he gets to keep his Oscar. I think that mm-hmm. would have been that would have been over the top and not justifiable if they'd taken his Oscar. But the reason why I say that this is meaningless is because I don't believe that Will Smith has been to the Oscar. You know, typically the only people who go to Oscars are the people who have a project that is up for consideration, nomination or something like that. Otherwise, you don't go. There's no point. Why are you going to sit through the three hours? And, and, you know, occasionally, especially with shows like the Grammys, even people who are up for awards don't go. Um, he and Jada famously boycotted in 2016 because Will was not nominated for, I think it was, uh, it was the uh, NFL story concussion. concussion. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't nominated for concussion. So they didn't go there, but if you go back and check, I highly doubt they went to any since Ali. And do you know when Ali was, was that like 2004? I think like the that? film was 2001, man. So that means oh, the wow. Oscars would have been 2002. So Will hadn't been to the Oscars in almost 20 years. So, you know, it's possible that he gets a role that he's nominated for, although I think that's the thing. I think that he might be, I think he's got to overcome what could potentially be, um, you know, being blackballed. He's had a couple projects pause and uh, put on hold, things like that. But assuming that um, he gets some roles, I don't know if he'll get the political clout to actually get nominated. Mm-hmm. So it might not, he might not ever go back um, and might not, want to go back at any point um you know maybe a lifetime achievement type thing i do think though within 10 years in 10 years or so if he comes back if he plays it right he could have the ultimate comeback story you know america loves a comeback story uh, they love to build people up and tear them down and then you know build them up again so if will you know transitions into some or keeps this transition going into meteor more complex roles i could see him possibly winning another oscar in 10 years or so but you know the band he had already resigned from the academy himself um i don't think he was going to the show he can still win awards so i just don't see any truth in it yeah i mean i i completely agree with you that it's important that he got to keep the award um i also agree that um, um you know everyone loves a comeback story and i think that in 10 years provided you know good health and all of that active careers any punishment is always set up for a reward we've seen that other times um but yeah i don't know i and i'd beg to differ a little bit but i haven't when i was a kid i was telling somebody this during the award show like i remember me and my mom would watch the oscars like that was a thing and you would always see you know jack nicholson and meryl streep and sometimes i feel like they were in movies like i think of people like warren Beatty, this like old hollywood and there were times where they, they were involved but it felt like even when they weren't they were still there and i feel like the smiths have become a fixture of new Hollywood. And, and I think there are two people that I expect to see at an award show. Um, so I do disagree with you a little bit there, but I don't know. I, you know, I, my, my answer might seem hella woke, but it's, it's, it's just been odd to watch so much discourse and so many, you know, you know, Amy Schumer saying, you know, how, how concerned she was when it happened over the rushing of the stage. I don't know, man. I think there's a lot to unpack there. And I think the whole thing has just gotten um, a bit ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I'll put that just 
I would say go back and take a look through a different lens, through your professional media lens at old Oscars and um, see if those dots I was talking about connect, you know, because I do think that as kids, we don't realize the politics and stuff that's going on. But I will say this, that if they're going to hand out that punishment for him, they should retroactively and go back and do that for others who have had uh, arguably more egregious violations, albeit not on camera in front of the right. world, but been convicted of, you know, uh, sexual uh, crimes and, and things like that. You know, I think that, um, yeah, absolutely. Those people should be addressed in the same way, you know, in terms of the discourse in the media. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen the the whole spectrum. It is what it is. Um, you know, uh, people have their opinions. It's been a hot story. Um, people don't want to focus on meaty things like Russia and the fact that food prices are up almost 10% and gas prices are up, you know, like 50% or whatever it is. But, you know, that's the culture we live in. It is. It is. And, and I, one last thing on it, you know, over the years, I've been watching footage over the last couple of weeks. It just, it comes into my timeline. I mean, the Beastie Boys, you know, Nathaniel Hornblower or ODB. I mean, we all know Kanye and Taylor. There's a long history of people, you know, rushing the stage. Obviously, the slap or the smack is different. And then for the Oscars, which just has, you know, 94 years or, or whatever of, of history to have obscenity shouted out from the seats. It's a lot. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's very interesting because I think we're living in a time where we all see that by rushing the stage or creating a moment like that, you can go viral and you can eclipse those bigger issues that you're talking about. So perhaps the 10 years is to set a standard um, to make sure that the next 10 or next five doesn't have that sort of moment, whatever it could be. Yeah. I mean, uh, to me, that's one of the saddest things that no one is talking about that the fact that this guy is the uh, third black man to win, um, uh, is it third or, yeah, or second? Sydney Poitier won supporting or, or lead? I can't remember. Um, uh, it's him, Sydney, and Denzel to, to yeah. win, um, you know, that level of Oscar, and no one is talking about it. But yeah, um, yo, positive news though. Uh, we've been waiting for something for years now, I've been hearing rumors about it. Um, it's been confirmed several times by the participants, but that it's not been uh, released or any release date discussed until now. You want to talk about that? Yeah, man, the week was ending. And on Friday, we received confirmation that Black Stars follow up 24 years after, um, you know, most deaf and Talib Kweli, our Black Star will arrive May 3rd. Um, we have, you know, this, this, this storyline has been almost four years in the making. Um, for years, you know, I think Yassine doesn't do a lot of press. Yassine Bey, you know, formerly most deaf and, and Talib, I feel like anytime he does press run, people always ask him about Black Star and there's been lingerings and there's been appearances and, and you attended a concert a few years ago, but in 2018, it was revealed that there was a second album in the works and that it was going to be produced by Mad Lib. Um, so boom, here we go. May 3rd, it's called No Fear of Time. Um, and it's interesting, um, you know, over the last three and a half years, one of the holdups that I've heard apart from obviously the, the pandemic and being strategic about when you release music is both of these guys were figuring out um, in their words, I'm paraphrasing, but the right situation. And I think Yasin in particular was adamant about that. I mean, Kuali has his own label. Um, you know, he's put out a lot of projects through the years 
And Yassin has kind of, I mean, we all kind of remember in 2006, way before Yeezus, um, his album, I think it was his third album, True Magic. It was just a CD and a clear case. Like Yassin has often played with art versus commerce. You know, in 2019, he put an album, N-E-G-U-S, um, is, is it how it's spelled. I'm not going to say it, but it, it premiered in studio, uh, in museums as an exhibition. He's been doing a lot of different things. So when they were talking about this, I was like, oh man, they're, they're looking for a label situation. They're looking for the right ownership. But oddly enough, um, it's going to arrive through their Luminary podcast platform, which um, is that a name you were familiar with? No, I, I was not. Same. And it's, it's the podcast home of uh, the Midnight Miracle, which is a podcast that Yasin Talib and Dave Chappelle do sporadically. It's not a weekly joint, sort of like you and I. I think they do it when they're all in a room together and there's things worth talking about or there's a guest worth interviewing. But this, this goes beyond the system. Um, and if you go to the latest episode of that, it confirms the guests on the album, um, or at least it appears to. And the guests on No, uh, no Fear of Time include Questlove and Black Dot from The Roots, Rock Marciano, um, comedian Michelle Wolf, one of my favorite comedians, uh, an MC people may know, Narcy, formerly known as Narcissist, one of Talib Kweli's longtime collaborators and artist, Nico Yis, who's been a, you know, a very active AFH supporter, and Radio Rahim, which, uh, you know, I don't know who that is, but obviously an illusion to do the right thing. Um, in addition to Talib and Yasin, it's executive produced by Dave Chappelle which is interesting because, um, you know, one of the times that I think we can all think of as Black Star fans beyond the album, um, you know, was some of the work that they did with Chappelle's show in the early 2000s. But it's very exciting news for me. Um, you know, and I wanted to ask you, you know, the first album, so this is a new collaboration of these guys in Mad Lib. Um, the first album came out on Ruckus Records in 98, produced by High Tech, Jay Rolls from Lone Catalyst, 88 Keys, you know, a host of different people, Sean J. Period, I think. Um, how do you feel in theory of a Black Star album produced by Mad Lib in 2022? Well, I'm super excited. Um, you said the news broke 2018. Is that when we first started talking about it? Or was yeah, it I mean, we had always heard bumblings that there would be an album. In 2018 yeah. is when we learned it's with Mad Lib. Right. So the thing that excites me about that is that uh, Bandana came out in 2019. Mm -hmm. and uh, that's Mad Lib and Freddie Gibbs. That was my favorite project of that year. I think it was either yours or one of your top five for sure. Mm -hmm. I thought that album was incredible. So that says to me that it's probably similar sound uh, because you know the album was done supposedly back then. So it was probably Mad Lib in that bag. And so I'm very excited to hear Black Star with, um, Mad Lib music from that period especially because it's some of my favorite Mad Lib music ever uh, I think he's but you know to his credit he is also really adept at um, maintaining his sound but tailoring it also to the artists that he's working with he doesn't overpower the artists he lets them be them so I think uh, it's going to be phenomenal I remember all the coverage of you know those who said they've heard it have said that it's amazing so I have no doubt that Yassine and Talib are incredible on it. I'm a huge fan of Black Star. You know, that raucous era from 98 to 2002 or so, 2003, is one of, it's probably my second favorite period in hip hop. 
uh, mm. to that 1993 to like 1997, 98 period. Okay. Um, I think it is incredible. It was, it ushered in the underground in a lot of ways created the space that you and I cover as much as we do now. Um, it restored my faith in hip hop. It brings back memories of going back, going to fat beats and walking and looking at vinyl and, you know, listening to Eclipse and, you know, others who were uh, spinning there at the time. Like it's just a, a dope era. And I think the Talib and Yassin have done a great job of keeping themselves relevant over the years, releasing solo music, touring together, um, you know, doing, features and stuff like that so i'm excited for it i'm very excited for it yeah i am too i would i would probably put respiration by black star if i had five all-time favorite hip-hop songs um and obviously common's part of it too that makes the list i i love the way the first album was produced i and and high tech in particular was integral to that um and it's interesting though because at that same time you know i've been a mad lib fan since loop pack and yesterday's new quintet um, but to watch him evolve, and I agree with you, I think 2019 Bandana, we talked about Grammy snubs last week, that album was robbed only to see Freddie Gibbs get nominated the following year for an album with Alchemist. I'm excited about this one. Um, to your point, there's some conflicting news. You know, there's a, there's a press, there's a statement that Talib made with the album, and I'll, I'll read it here. He says, about three to four years ago, I was visiting Yassine in Europe, and we started to talk about songs to do in, on an album. So I flew an engineer out just to see what it would be. Once I realized this conversation is starting to organically become a creative conversation, I started making sure to have the engineer around at all times. There was one day where we were just in a hotel listening to Mad Lib beats, and he was like, play that Mad Lib tape again. I'm playing beats, and he starts to rhyme to the beats, and that's how we did the first song. So that, I mean, that, that's all true. But what's interesting is on the latest episode of their podcast, they say that this album was recorded in summer of 2020 and spring of 2021 in Ohio, which provided would be, you know, Dave Chappelle's, you know, property in Yellow Springs, um, not far from Dayton. I think that's really interesting. I mean, to go from, you know, and first of all, an album made in the pandemic, you and I spent time on one of the early episodes of this podcast kind of saying, what will that be? What will that feel like? How will hip hop and music sound different? Um, you know, as a result of this, but also to go from an album that they made in New York City in Brooklyn, you know, um, pre a lot of like pre tracking and kind of like low key studios in those 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 hunger pains, ruckus years on up. It's going to be an interesting contrast. And, um, you know, based on what Talib said there, I wonder if Madlib was part of the creative process or he was just somebody who's just, you know, supplying beat tapes like Dilla um, also did at times. So I'll be really curious. There was a video that released um, like 16 seconds long with the news on Friday. You can go to ambrosiaforheads.com and hear it. It's um, a little bit of presumably music from the sessions or from the projects. There have been some teasers over the last three and a half years, but I'm excited. And the fact that it's coming in less than a month, this could be, you know, you and I often do check-ins of like, what's the biggest album so far? What's our personal picks of album of the year? I mean, we haven't gotten to talk about Black Star in that level, um, you know, in the time you and I have known each other, you know, plus almost another 10 years. It's wild. Yeah, let's talk about the Luminary piece. So, um, you know, we've seen some pretty high level releases lately on unique platforms, you know, started with Dr. Dre with the GTA release uh, inside a video game. 
the internet is undefeated. And so we had that music, even though it was exclusively available on GTA, we had it on YouTube within a matter of hours of when it was released, mm-hmm. but it took, you know, three, uh, three months or so for it to hit DSPs. It wasn't until around Dre's Super Bowl appearance that we actually got the music on DSPs and it's still kind of wonky. It's not done as an album. It's just a bunch of singles from Dr. Dre. You got to put it together yourself. Um, and then we had uh, Kanye with, the Donda 2 release on his stem player, which costs $200. It allows you to break down all the individual parts of the music and create your own mixes and everything, which sounds like a cool concept. I have not seen any of that music online, but truthfully, I haven't searched for it either. So have Uh, you heard Donda 2? No, I haven't I haven't searched for it. So it, I assume it's out there because, again, the Internet's undefeated. But, I mean, have you searched for it? Have you heard any of, of it? I haven't searched for it. I was sitting in an Uber with a friend a few weeks ago, a friend who was ready to throw down the 200, and I was kind of clowning him a little bit. And I was like, for what? You're not a producer. Like, what are you going to do with these stems? And in, a, in sheer irony, the Uber driver's like, I already pre-ordered it. I'm going <laughs> to remix it. And I was like, damn, in this car alone is $400 you know, spent yeah. on this album. And I honestly, like you, I haven't sought out a review. I haven't paid much mind to it because there's other things to cover. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, there, this has happened in, in different iterations before, like even Dre's Compton forever was only Apple music. And I bought it the night it dropped, but it was crazy in 2015, how rarely, how rare I listened to it. I bought the CD later on. And it's funny how music habits have changed, but you're absolutely right. Like, and for Yasin Bey in particular, you know, he's put out albums since the ecstatic. You and I just haven't heard them unless we went to a museum. But I know people, uh, Will Ketchum, who we both know, he's been, you know, he's on staff at Mike. He went to the museum and heard it. Um, but like, it's, it's weird to know how that competes in the, the traditional album space. So this one I'm curious about because Luminary Podcasts, you can listen wherever you know wherever you listen to this podcast my suspicion is this album will release on may you know on may uh, 3rd um and i bet you by may 10th it'll be if it's not already it'll be wherever things are i don't know if luminary is going to serve as an exclusive distribution platform as you know a jump ahead um is it just going to be in place of a label but I think that Blackstar in particular will be hard pressed not to make their music widely available. And if they do, like you said, the internet is always undefeated. Yeah, I mean, we saw, saw it a lot with Tidal too. Jay released yeah. 444 exclusively on Tidal, but again, that was available like instantly. Same thing with Magna Carta, Holy Grail, I think was a collaboration with Sprint. Right. Um, you know, Lemonade. I think in all those cases, it definitely hurt the commercial performance of the albums, especially since those illegitimate copies aren't counted. And ultimately they did find their way to streaming platforms. And since then, you know, Jay, Beyonce have gone back to more traditional, like released everywhere. So you said Luminary is available on all podcast platforms. So I'm wondering if, uh, if they are going to release, it's just, you got to listen to it as a podcast instead of like as an album. And if that's the case, then, I don't think that's any different. And that's kind of cool way to, to bring shine to the podcast. But if it's behind some sort of wall, like a paywall, like a Patreon or something like that, then I think, I think it could be uh, difficult. Well, let me ask you an honest question. Cause correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you are one of the people that paid a hundred dollars for Crenshaw, right? No. Oh, okay. No. I thought you were. 
Uh, I was not. I, I thought about it, and I, I would have. I just didn't get around to it. I, I was not against the price. In fact, I love the hustle. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that Nipsey valued his music that way, and I was such a big supporter of his movement back then. I wanted to do it. I can't remember why I didn't do it, um, but but yeah, I, I was a fan of of the move for sure. Yeah, it was different. I mean, at that time, if there was a store on my block, I personally wouldn't say that I would have, um, especially just where my life was at at 2013. But I've I've spent, I guarantee you, close to six figures in music throughout my life. I've just I've I've never had a problem with supporting it. If Black Star in particular wants fifty or a hundred dollars for this album. I'd probably give it to him because the first album had that kind of impact in my life. And, you know, Kanye's had tremendous impact on my life, but maybe the Donda brand, you know, the first album didn't grab me. We've we've talked about this on the podcast. I didn't feel compelled for $200 for an exclusive player, but I'm, I'm truly excited by this. I'm really curious to see, um, you know, what it means to both of their careers at this point. You know, Yasin is kind of a nomad, global traveler all of these things talib you know has made one of my favorite interview podcasts with people's party he's done a bunch of 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 things continues to make music but right now he's at kind of a slower season when it comes to music last year he put out the gotham project with diamond d which was really cool um but as far as like solo talib we haven't gotten that and certainly haven't got black star so i think this will be a stone in the sand no matter what yeah, the difference with Nipsey from those other projects is that he put out a free version too at the same time. You could Great get point. MP3s, you could download the mixtape. But if you wanted the CD and, and be part of that club, you should pay for it. And uh, yeah, I remember that line, I think it was on um, uh, Count Up My Loot on Mailbox Money where he said uh, Jigga purchased, uh, uh, Jigga uh, did something when he made that purchase um like um paid a thousand dollars because it was worth it uh like i i I love the line man and yeah um so let me ask you this if it is behind a paywall will you listen pay up whatever it takes to to listen to this album not whatever it takes but i I would probably go up to a hundred dollars i you know i don't mind supporting these guys and i was one of those kids that that sent in the mailer for a ruckus records t-shirt and all of that stuff over the years um, and, and have supported this group. I've never, you know, I've seen Yassin live, certainly with you. I've seen Reflection Eternal on the road. I've seen Talib a few times. I don't know that I've ever seen Black Star together. Um, so yeah, I often look at that, like all the years I would have gone to a show, happy to do it. I do like what you said as an aside, the one track thing. I mean, De La Soul put out that Nike project around like 2009, something like that. And those Nike collaborations, they did another one with LCD Sound System. They would just kind of like two or three track it. And you would, you would really have to listen as a lean back experience to enjoy the music. And if you, if you check out the latest podcast episode that features Yasin, Talib, and Dave talking about it, um, these guys are really, you know, this No Fear of Time title, I think it's in reference to the fact that, look, they've comfortably waited 25 years just about to put out this album. In the episode, um, Yassin talks about how the CEO of Twitter recently made a comment, again, I'm paraphrasing, that if artists are frustrated with their, their income from Spotify on music, they can't live in the old model of releasing an album every five years. You need to stay consistent. And I think that he's kind of bucking that statement, which you and I have spent a ton of time speaking about, you know, quantity versus quality. I will always be in favor of quality. 
And if, if they are kind of thumbing their nose or going above and beyond um, the usual powers that be to make art available, I applaud that, even though, you know, this podcast is obviously available in all those usual formats. So, yeah, I support it too. I think the power is in the hands of the creators and a lot of times creators don't uh, leverage that power. I'll, I will definitely, you know, pay, you know, I, I don't think there'll be people over the head. I'll pay whatever subscription fee or whatever it is to, or, you know, to purchase it. We'll be happy to do that to support these guys. I'm really, really ready for May 3rd, right? Yes, May 3rd. Yeah. So uh, there were some incredible releases this week, too. Um, we got something from Schoolboy Q, which we'll talk about a bit later. Uh, one of my favorite Q tracks in a long time. Uh, but one of the biggest uh, and most anticipated songs, I'd say, was Pusha T released his song, Neck and Wrist. This is Pusha's second release off his upcoming album, which he's already said is the album of the year. The first one being Diet Coke. And that was produced by, yeah, right? Um, yes, yes. Yeah. And this one is produced by Pharrell Williams, uh, yeah. you know, the man that you know most of us associate with bringing the clips to the fold. You know? Yeah. So Diet Coke, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, okay, you know, all right. But on third or fourth listen, uh, I loved it. It's actually one of my favorite songs on our, our Spotify playlist right now. I think Push It just goes to work lyrically on it. I think that the beat suits his flow incredibly well. I think it's a dope, dope song. This one I heard and I was super excited for it because their collaborations in the past have been off the charts. Drug Dealers Anonymous remains one of my favorite songs from both of them. Um, I think they both just blacked out on that song. I got to say, uh, on first, second, third, fourth listen, uh, however many times I've heard it now, I don't love this song. Um, I don't love the chorus. I, I don't like Pusha's flow at all. It goes high at the end of each you know, bar. Um, Jay's verse is slick and we're going to talk about that but also didn't kill me from a flow perspective that just this one was just very underwhelming to me as a song but the weird thing is after only hearing it one time I woke up the next day and it was the first song that popped in my mind and I can't get the hook out of my head yeah in the beat so it is it is super catchy and it's one of those songs where um I think by year's end, I'll probably like it, uh, or at least, uh, you know, it'll be one of those songs you just can't deny. So, but w- what were your thoughts on the song sonically? You know, we might disagree a little bit about Will Smith. We agree on this one. I, um, flashback to 2016, I thought Drug Dealers Anonymous was the collaboration I felt like I had been waiting at least 10 years for, probably more like 14 or 15. Um, you know, Push has made a number of records over the years that I feel like have subconsciously tried to beckon Jay-Z for the remix. The most obvious one for me is Numbers on the Boards, which is one of my absolute favorite Pusha records. Um, And it even, you know, they scratched in Jay um, in the song. And here we go, you know, this collaboration. And whereas DDA I thought was phenomenal, I I loved the political implications of of Jay using that moment to kind of clap back at Tommy Loren and some other people that were dragging his past into his present. This one musically um, and so in terms of its substance, I would agree with what you said. I don't think it's bad by any measure. I think the song is cool. I like the production. It's a different sound for me from Pharrell. 
Um, but I, I said to somebody this week, I really, Jay-Z's flow changes like every five years, sort of like, you know, Primo's production or Dre's, but like it, it you, you want the old thing. You can't have the old thing. He might give you a flash of it. And I really liked when Jay was rapping super in pocket to the beat. And that's just not the move right now. Um, to me, this song, you know, I kind of, there was a photograph in the last couple of years of Jay with, with Mac Homie. And I kind of feel like, you know, Mock raps, you know, kind of a free verse and, and very potent rhymes makes you pay attention in a different way. Um, and I can kind of see maybe some of that influence. And there's other people that do it too, obviously, but on Jay in this moment, it wasn't, when I press play, it wasn't an instant like, and like you, I keep coming back to it. I'm not done with the song and maybe in the context of the album or by the end of the year, I'll feel completely different about it. But, um, you know, it, it, it's nowhere near the way I felt about Benny the Butcher and J. Cole with Johnny P's Kite. Yeah, you know, we wrote that article back in the day. Sometimes I rap fast, sometimes I rap slow. Uh, the different cadences Jay has used over the years. I think that's a testament to us, his longevity and his com continued commercial success at the same level. That said, I think there's also something to, uh, oh, and he also said, you know, infamously or famously on, on to the next one, um, Brothers Want My Old Flow by My Old Album. Uh, yeah. You know, that's, that's such a J line. Uh, I love that. Um, but I, I also think there's something about returning to the flow um that made you that that you that established you in your prime and he's done it you know on bam from 444 yes. he goes absolutely berserk on that and it's that old hove and it you did but and instantaneously your head is snapping on that song it's one of my favorite joints from that album um this you know i think i love the experimentation um uh, that said all experiments don't work and i think that's fine you know you gotta try you gotta be flexible you can't be pigeonholed this is just one that didn't work for me personally i didn't uh hear the makami uh reference that you made to me mock his flow is just so like perfectly in the pocket i think mm. it's impeccable his flow and it's it's almost like a jazz instrument because it's unorthodox and um it goes in different directions that, that you think but it's always where it's supposed to be. If that makes interesting, sense. interesting. Um, and, okay, no, go ahead. But I'll say, you know, an example of people who stuck to their flow and done so and remained incredibly um, core and dear to their fans, including us, is another release that came out early um, same day, which was KRS, Red Man, and Method Man uh, in the Meth Lab or um, live from the Meth Lab. Live from the Meth Lab from Method Man's upcoming album. And that was just incredible. So it can be done too, but um, you know, whatever it was, it sonically, it, it didn't appeal to me. Yeah. But there's, I mean, there's a ton to unpack with the song. And so, you know, first listen, I'm going to ask you like, what was your initial like takeaway of what this record's about, what it means, it's context, you know, in, in 2022. Yeah. So first listen for me has been jaded by the fact of what we do. You know, I think, you know, I've talked about covering deaths before, you know, when someone dies in hip hop, we're not able to process it emotionally initially because we got to put on our journalistic hat and think about how we're going to report this story um, to our readers and put it in a context that makes sense and really reflects and respects the legacy of the people who have fallen. 
same thing with the new song. You got to listen to it with the ears of like, okay, cool. What's the narrative going to be? Is this a song that's going to fit the playlist? Really just be professional about it instead of fans. And so I was listening for, you know, within 20 seconds, I knew I didn't like the song sonically or the hook. So then it was like, okay, let me listen to see if there's something lyrical that makes this a newsworthy story. And sure enough, Jay in, in some of his last lines talks about a topic that's discussed. Jay is always listening. His ear is always to the streets or he's got people listening for him who report to him, but he always knows what's going on in, in society and what people are saying. And the lines that caught me were his lines about Biggie. People have said for a long time that Jay-Z wouldn't be Jay-Z if Biggie was alive. Biggie would be the king of New York, blah, blah, blah. He gets criticized for referencing big lines in his songs. Um, and you know, he said that in a uh i forget the song but he says um i'm bigging up my brother i'm big yeah. enough to do it you know um it's on the blueprint yeah, yeah yeah he's not he's not biting he, i'm not a biter i'm a writer uh you know um he's just referencing like like jazz like jazz knows to hip-hop is a reverential body of work and so he says that um you know, he knows his permission, his position. If uh, Big was alive, people would have gotten the commission, um, which is, you know, was going to be their collaboration album, which would have been incredible. We only got two joints from them. Um, I love the dough and um, Brooklyn's uh, finest. And, and and the commission, too, you know, there's speculation over it, too, not to interrupt you, but yeah. like there may have been other people, too, one being Charlie Baltimore, you know, who was Big's, you know, an artist that he was, you know, developing as well as a romantic partner at the end of his life and little cease being in there. And this was part of a situation that Lance on Riviera was part of too, who was one of Big's managers and, you know, had this other situation where they were trying to find ways to get money with and without bad boy. And you're right. We got those two, you know, mammoth Jay and big records. Um, and then Jay did a commission inspired record for, on the duets album, which is obviously a posthumous release. As I understand it, the Biggie verse on that song was totally from somewhere else. But Jay, even in the mid 2000s, used that opportunity to kind of say, what if with this group, which is, again, what he did, you know, on, on neck and wrist. Yeah. So he answers his critics uh, once again. And but he says the whole was always going to be hove. And so, you know, don't get it twisted. He was always going to do what he was going to do. You know, but what I missed up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He came out swinging from his very first line. Um, he says, the phase I'm on, love, I wouldn't believe it either. I'd be like, Jay-Z's a cheater. I wouldn't listen to reason either. Um, and so that was a, 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 a clap back at phase on love. Who <laughs> I, I completely missed this storyline. Did you follow it when it happened? No, I, I, I absolutely didn't, but continue. Yeah, so... During an interview on a podcast called the Hip Hop Hip Hop Uncensored, Phazon um, Love said of Jay Z, "I like Jay Z. I like him as a guy, and the whole thing he created about uh, this fake dope dealing." Um, 
that's when I stopped liking him. This guy ain't sold no cocaine in his life. I don't think he's ever won a fight. And then in an interview with DJ Vlad on Vlad TV, um, you know, he doubled down on it and said, I criticize him for it because it's kind of his fault. And um, I think he means like all the drug reference talk and hip Glamorizing. Yeah. Yeah. Jay-Z creates this drug dealing drug lord. I'm a drug dealer. I'm a drug lord. These kids are like, we got to do it too. Not knowing that this is all made up shit. So, I mean, those are pretty heavy lines and I don't know where they came from. Um, I don't know if they have beef or, you know, Faison was just speaking his mind or what the deal was. But when you then go back and break down that, that Jay lyric, he says the phase I'm on. Okay. Love. love. Yeah. I wouldn't believe it either. Um, you know, so like, and then he says, I'd be like, Jay's a cheater. I wouldn't listen to reason like double entendre reasonable doubt, which is all about like that talk either. Like it's a real, he's just so uh, such a master at packing in multiple entendres and references within one line and also giving you subliminal sneak this, whatever you want to call it. But it got me thinking that Jay-Z is low key, the king of sneak disses. So I wanted to talk about that because over the years, this guy has gone at so many people. You know, there are times where he'll use names and stuff like that. And I'm not even going to say sneak this. He's the king of subliminal disses because I think sneak this implies that he's trying to hide it. Mm. I think he is just um, doing it in a clever way. And if you know, you know. Um, you throw a rock, say, come outside. It's different yeah. than throwing a rock and running. Well, you, yeah. you only get half a half a bar, you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah. you're a misdemeanor. Yeah, he's the king of subliminal disses, man. So I wanted to go over some of this dude's um, disses from over the years. I also think he might be the dude who's brought it against more people than any other rapper. But we can't go over the entire catalog because no. we're talking about you know 25 years of work, and I'm sure that there have been hundreds that went over our heads. But I just wanted to talk about a few notable ones. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, too. Like, Jay is somebody who, on reasonable doubt, you know, um, comes in and says, you know, too much West Coast dick licking. Like, he came in swinging. Obviously, you know, Jay had been putting out records at that point for almost over a decade, if you count his first joint with Jazz O, the uh, one they made as teenagers. But, like, he immediately stepped in with his first album with that same, I'm going to say something, and if you take offense you know, to paraphrase Royce the 5'9", if you feel it's about you, then it's about you, have it. And from the onset of his career, from the people he stood beside to obviously, you know, people will make much ado about, you know, his his stuff with Nas or with Prodigy, Cameron. But you're absolutely right. And, and you know, it's interesting too, because you and I talking about this, there's a whole lot of subliminal dissing just in the last five years alone. You know, for a guy who has, you know, at least a 25-year career, 26-year career of just laying it out like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and the interesting thing is that he doesn't just save it for rappers. You know, a lot of times, you know, MCs rap about MCs. He gives it to everyone, whether you already talked about Tommy Lauren, you know, the, the news reporter. He gives it to news reporters, actors, rappers, fans sometimes uh government officials radio hosts players yeah. radio hosts like whoever whoever wants it can get that smoke from jay-z so i think that's that's really interesting you know um so 
another line before we get into his subliminal disses that like caught people's attention was he says, I blew bird money. Y'all talking Twitter feed. That line is so crazy. You know, um, my interpretation, and I want to get yours because young guru Jay's engineer for, you know, basically his entire career said there were like five meanings to it. I don't know if that was like hyperbole, but there's definitely multiple entendres here. I blew bird money, uh, I take as him saying, listen, you know, I spent drug money, uh, like big money, y'all talking Twitter feeds, you know, but I also got the blue bird reference to the Twitter, but uh, I wonder if that goes deeper and it's talking about Jack Dorsey, uh, the guy who founded Twitter and who created a crypto fund with Jay-Z. So that's blue bird money right there. Uh, another one is that, um, Jack Dorsey's company Square, um, you know, sister company to Twitter, bought Title. So that's more Bluebird money that that Jay has gotten. So I got three, and uh, I'm wondering if there's a Blue Ivy reference in there somewhere that we're not getting. But um, what... I agree with all the ones you just said. By the yeah, way, you know, yeah. anything else you take from that? No, I think the internet ran to some extent, and we're trying to question whether it was about Birdman, you know, count co-founder of cash money records and young guru stepped out and said that's not the case um but obviously you know it's interesting because if you look at jay's relationship to little wayne those are two artists that have dissed each other at times worked with each other in some of those same times and then when wayne wanted off of cash money rock nation you know at one point you know we covered it on afh wayne even said at a show i'm rock nation um and it obviously played out a little bit differently but I think some interpreted that to mean, you know, Jay one-upping, you know, somebody who's also made the Forbes list quite a few times and is associated with, you know, great wealth in hip hop. But I didn't, when I first heard that and when I've looked back, I don't think he's dissing Birdman. Do you? I mean, it's, it's hard to um, not think that a little bit because, you know, Birdman is also spent a lot of money and you know people there's been claims at times that he's been kind of down financially um you know because he's blown a lot of money but you know if guru's saying it's not aimed at him i'll take it as that um you know but yeah there's definitely a lot of a lot of a lot of juice in that line so let's get to the disses man Um, let me ask you a question though before we get to the last five years you know on the subliminal level do you, you know, beyond the last five years in history, do you have a favorite or a favorite person that Jay was getting at that that just as a fan of Jay, you're like, yo, that's the way you do it. That's the way you kind of ruffle feathers. Well, I mean, for me, it's just the obvious one. It's Takeover. That's one of my favorite song, Jay songs ever. I think that he went ham at Nas on that, you know, Mob Deep. Um, he definitely, and, and the beat was crazy to me. The thing that makes a, this song elite is when it's just a great record too which is why drake has been such a master and the reason why i love wraith too by mickey fax from last year um i just think that great records elevated to a different place so takeover for me how about you i've always liked jay's treatment of the game um you know the game basically from the onset of his career has had a very complicated relationship with Jay, I think he's often sought approval. He's often wanted kind of an endorsement that he's never received. 
and the game, you know, especially on those, those, um, those mixtapes, I mean, game has an incredible mixtape catalog, but he's thrown some very jagged rocks towards, you know, Jay's throne for lack of a better and, and dear summer, one of my absolute favorite Jay records began as a freestyle and then made its way as an interlude on a Memphis bleak album. You know, many have speculated that while that song applies to Jay being kind of on sabbatical and hiatus questioning, you know, other people have said, is it about a romantic relationship? Um, you know, when he makes the peaches and herb comment, but there's a, there's a point in that song where he says, if you're that hungry for fame, MF or come on, you know, take two steps and spin or 10 steps and spin. I, I will, as a hip hop fan, as a fan of both these artists, I think he was talking to game and I think I've interviewed game and games even said as much. Um, but I always thought that that was just epic, you know, that situation. And I also loved in, in kind of researching this, you know, Jay O'Felony, another West Coast artist, took a, some big swings at Jay, you know, and basically put his safety in question on the West Coast, brought gang ties into it. And Jay a few times, you know, had that famous line, you're not a felony, you're a misdemeanor. And Jay even saying, you know, I, I wear more bling um, to what it in the soul train, like he's in LA, nobody touches him. I always just thought those were really cool lines in their time of like, I'm not even going to dedicate a whole song to you. I'm just going to let you know that what you said wasn't possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Your Summer might be my favorite Jay song ever. I, I never took that as a diss song. Uh, it's a song with a diss, you know what I mean? Um, Word. And he talks about, he talked about on Rivera too. He says, I just flip an onion, like, you know, referring to the stabbing incident he had where he I'm sorry, Lance. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm not trying. Yeah. Uh, I'm just uh, I'm trying to, yeah, it's just. Advance my notes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. He's just got such ill lines. Historically though, um, you know, he's been doing this for a number of years, even on Reasonable Doubt. Um, he had Brooklyn's Finest. And you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, that song was so interesting because, because Jay appears on it and Biggie has that line, um, you know, if Faith gets pregnant, she probably have two pox, get it, two pox. And, you know, that was a direct response to Tupac's allegations that he had, you know, a romantic affair with Faith Evans, which, you know, has been speculated throughout history, whether it was true or not. And Biggie makes light of it. And that's kind of like him cracking Tupac's whole thesis of like, all right, you want to say you were with my wife and the mother of, of, of my child, um, all right, let's, I'll give you that. And I'm going to make a joke about it. And I've read somewhere, I'm trying to think where that, you know, that reaction incensed, um, you know, Pac, who anyone who's listened to Machiavelli knows the song that Tupac made in the last three months of his life. Jay-Z became as much a target as Nas, as Prodigy. Um, Jay, who, you know, had put Reasonable Doubt out in June of 96, suddenly becomes you know, added to Tupac's list of, of, of ops. And, you know, how does one do that? By standing on a song like that with Biggie, by saying too much West Coast dick licking, you know, Jay puffed his chest up from the onset of his career. And I always thought that that was super interesting. And I say that as somebody who's, you know, favorite, favorite MC of all time. Um, at least the reason I'm here talking to you is, is Pop. So. Yeah. And he had a diss record in the tuck supposedly, right? Yeah, Clark Kent has said that Jay performed it once or twice, you know, so Reasonable Doubt comes out in June, you know, it's a different time back then, I think under today's standards, that song would be out, you know, on YouTube or SoundCloud right away. Um, But Jay performed his response to Pac, but he never put it to album, you know, whereas, 
you got joints like Drop a Gem on them by Mob Deep, like that after Pac's gone, you know, these songs start to appear. Jay never did. But yeah, I mean, he was ready to go to war with, you know, an artist with a number one album, you know, two number one albums at that point. Um, and then, you know, history obviously had other plans. Yeah, and Clark Kent said it was one of the most savage disc records he's heard. He said it was a career ender. You know, we've heard that before. We've heard that about um, Drake having a career ending song for Pusha T. Yeah. I don't know that any song can end someone's career. Um, I think we're beyond that. I do think that LL definitely put a chink in Cannabis's career. But I think that if Cannabis had come back with like a crazy hit record, it wouldn't have mattered. I think it's more his creative um, direction than 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 any disses that L did. Same with Cool Modi. So, but um, it would have been interesting to hear that for sure. Mm-hmm. So some of the ones that people talk about all the time, you know, Nas Takeovers, Super Ugly, Cameron's uh, Dig a Hole, you know, Prodigy also Takeover. But Jay has had bars for bunches and bunches and bunches of people in his career. Um, a lot of them without saying their name again, like I think the bars are direct enough that if they're, you're the intended recipient, you're going to catch it, but might go, you know, he even says that on, um, take over, let's just keep that between me and you, you know, where he's talking about, he, he gives lines just to people, just to, just so that they hear what he's saying on record. You talked about game already. Um, Mace, ride or die and imaginary players. So let's talk about some of the, targets that he's he's attacked over the years so we've talked about Pac he went at LL Cool J at the time it was when uh Jay was the president of Def Jam and LL was an artist there he was toward the end of his time at Def Jam was not feeling like he was getting the love didn't really love the fact that there was an artist who was ahead because he thought that artist would prioritize himself over him and so, um, you know, he had words in the press and they got a little chippy between him and Jay. So Jay had a line on I Get Money, a billion dollar remix about, um, about LL on that. He went at 50 on the prelude and it's hot, some like it hot. He went at I'm about a dollar with the F yeah. is 50 cent. Yeah, you know? yeah. Epic. And I mean, 50 was, yeah, that was, that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He went at Joe Budden, who's not uh, short on his list of uh, going at people too. I'd say Budden. 50 Cent and Jay are probably at the top of the list in terms of like targets. Um, he's gone at Drake and you wrote a, a big article about that. Lil Wayne, um, Birdman, Kanye, and even Oasis, uh, you know, the, the, the rock band, uh, they talked about rappers and like not playing instruments and stuff like that. And on uh, Jock and Jay-Z, he said he doesn't play guitar, but he's a rock star, you know. Um, and he's even gone to basketball players. He went to Jason Williams, who had an unfortunate event where um, he shot his driver accidentally. And, um, and uh, Jay had bars for him on Guns N' Roses. Mm. And then Deshaun Stevenson, who had been um, in a back and forth with LeBron James verbally, Jay threw some bars his way, too, uh, on Blow the Whistle Freestyle. So... Uh, he's gone to Donald Trump. Like it just, it just, his list is, is it doesn't have bounds in terms of the types of people, but you know, when you want to go through, so let's start with that, that, um, the Drake this, um, we're only going to go through the last few yeah. or so, but you know, I got, so we're within a five-year window. Yeah. And, and Jay doesn't, you know, often these, these kind of subliminals appear on freestyles, on remixes, on radio spots when that was a thing. So he uses, you know, DJ Khaled's album, you know, I Got the Key, the title track. And um, he says, 
in real life they like me in real life i'm like no till you own your own you can't be free till you're on your own you can't be me and that seemed to be a response to drake's summer 16 line i used to want to be on rockefeller then i turned into jay now i got a house in la now i got a bigger pull than yay so you know and and if i'm not mistaken i think drake might have even been on that Khaled album but jay just again creates the distance of don't make those type of comparisons i'm on my own level and to your point you know there's two people um even maybe three with 50 but there's artists that jay will reprimand through these type of bars and then within a one or two years time work with them and in some of those cases like wayne and drake it doesn't mean that it's all peace and love either they go through their own chapters but here we are as hip-hop fans with these lines to document it um, and, and at that same time, too, it should be noted that was in response to the, the um, you know, Drake had also done um, Rolling Stone interview that he later said, you know, things were said that were off the record where he had made criticisms of Jay, criticisms of Kanye. Um, so to your point, you know, Jay-Z pays attention to everything. Yeah. Yeah, he gave a lot of people bars on 444 when that came out. You know, he came out swinging from the first song, you know, Kill Jay-Z. Uh, he had a line where he said, but you ain't a saint, this ain't kumbaya, but you got hurt because you did kumbaya. You gave him 20 million without blinking. He gave you 20 minutes on stage. F was he thinking. Mm-hmm. So that's a reference to, you know, at this time, Kanye had gone on a series. Uh, where he was When he was on tour, he would always stop the show and uh, just talk about whatever was on his mind. It's almost like a stream of consciousness. The word that, that blogs, to your point, started using was rant, which I, I didn't like because it, it's dismissive. And a lot of times he would say really um, interesting, uh, provo- thought-provoking things about uh, the financial structure and wealth building and stuff like that. But there was this one time where he started talking about Jay-Z and Beyonce and them, you know, not attending his wedding. He talked about Jay-Z owing, he was talking about Jay-Z owing him money at the time. Um, there was and, the killers on payroll thing too that Kanye said, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it was shortly after that, I think it was like only a few days after that, that he was hospitalized uh, for having a manic episode. But Jay gave him bars on the same song, you know, he, he gave a bar to Eric Benet. <laughs> this was about uh, it was also about some of the infidelities that, that Hope was acknowledging uh, in his relationship with Beyonce. And he said, you almost went Eric Benet, let the baddest girl in the world get away. I don't even know who else, uh, what else to say. Man, don't never go Eric Benet. So like, <laughs> I mean, do you remember all the memes going on at the time of like Eric Benet waking up today and acting like life is normal. And then the album you know, coming out, it was like, that was one of my favorite internet meets hip hop moments. You know? Yeah, it, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. And then um, you, you, you caught another one in there too. Yeah. On the same song, you know, he says, um, I don't even know what you would have done in the future. Another brother playing football with your son, which, you know, many speculated was an you know, an, an aim at future, you know, who, you know, is um, watching at that point, Russell Wilson with Sierra and raising interesting. His raising his son. Yeah. Yeah. Raising his son. So yeah. Um, exactly. And um, it's just, it's, it's, it's super, super wild. And I don't know necessarily the, the context of that, but again, Jay does this thing at times where if there's something he doesn't like, he puts it in there and sees where the narrative goes from there. It's like a, 
like a choose your own adventure book. Yeah. Um, so you, you said the point too, like 444 is filled with them. Um, on Smile, another song on the album, he says, no flex zone. This is HOV, brother, who lied to you? And that was in response to Funkmaster Flex at the time, as Flex is no stranger to picking enemies, you know, that could be his friends one minute and an adversary the next. And he was very critical in that time of Jay-Z. And if I'm not mistaken, on social media, posted um, a screenshot of Flex holding a phone with a new text coming in and it said, this is Hove. Um, so again, it all correlates. On that same song, Jay says, F a slice of the apple pie, I want my own cake, charging my own rate, respect Jimmy Iovine, but he got to respect the Elohim as a whole new regime. And brothers playing for power, huh? So our, so our music is ours, brothers own their own houses. And that was, you know, that arrived around the same time that 50 Cent um, went into bankruptcy, you know, for uh, some could say in retrospect, a strategic financial move. I mean, 50 is, seems to be doing quite well for himself, but made the headlines as this former mogul, former guy who's on the, the billionaire remix of, you know, with Jay on, on that I Got Money was in a tough situation. And whereas Jay has, um, you know, created his own business, a black owned business and done what he's done. I think he was alluding that 50 was very much at the um, needs of Jimmy Iovine and Interscope and that whole system, which was interesting. And again, that's another case of 50 and Jay can make songs together in between that, you know, I'm about a dollar line um, and then come back to this. So it, it never seems to end. Yeah, absolutely. Next up on that same album was Caught Their Eyes. And this is one where he is very direct about it, makes no bones about it. He says, I sat down with Prince eye to eye. He told me his wishes before he died. Now, Londell McMillan, he must be colorblind. They only see green from them purple eyes. So Londell um, is an entertainment lawyer, uh, very famously is the person who extracted Prince from his recording agreement. When with Warner, was, right? With Warner Brothers, when he was... Um, going around calling himself the artist formerly known as Prince. He had rescinded his name in order to make it difficult for them to, to market him. He literally shaved slave into his beard. You know, he was um, absolutely done with the label and Londell is the entertainment lawyer who was able to uh, get him off of that label. And uh, so when Prince died, his music was only on title at the time. And I think Londo opened it up uh, It went in and opened it up so that Prince's music could be on several music platforms. So Apple, Spotify, the whole nine. And Jay had an issue with that. Uh, his claim was that Prince uh, only wanted his masters on title because it was black owned and he wanted it to be, it was symbolic of Prince's desire to have that artistic control. Like, you know, what Jay has talked about controlling your own destiny when it comes to your art. Um, so I don't know um, if that's true or not. And a lot of people refuted that, but he definitely gave Londell specific bars on that. Yeah. And we ran a story of Londell appearing on the breakfast club and responding to it. And uh, yeah, journalism hashtag. So yeah. <laughs> um, another one on there, uh, family feud, uh, Jay, when, you know, you didn't mention this among the non-musical figures, but Al Sharpton. And he said, Al Sharpton in the mirror taking selfies. How is him or pill Cosby supposed to help me? Um, and, you know, I think, as you pointed out, this is a follow up disc to Say Hello, which was almost a decade earlier. And Jay says, if Al Sharpton speaking for me, somebody get him the word and tell him I don't approve. 
tell them I'll remove the curses if you tell me our school is going to be perfect. When Genesis 6 don't exist, tell him that's when I'll stop saying, and then he says the B word, and then he calls Al Sharpton the B word. Um, you know, this is, again, Jay responding similar to Tommy Loren of, you know, I, I don't want to call Al Sharpton a political pundit, but talking heads on television or activists that have spoken for Jay or condemned him for his language, for his lifestyle, similar to the phase on love thing. And Jay pays attention and he claps back. Yeah, absolutely. And bam. So this one, um, he says, uh, dudes be skipping leg day just to run their mouth. Um, you said that was a Kanye. I didn't, I didn't take that one as, as being a yay specifically, but what, 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 one, what jumped out at you, uh, for that? So that comes out 2017, 2016, um, Kanye puts out life of Pablo. Remember the, remember the lyric, um, I hit, you know, I make an omelet, all veggies, no eggs, hit the gym, all upper, no legs. And that might not be upper, all shoulders. And that was, that was when Kanye again, you know, was in the press. He was talking to Charlemagne. He continued to distance himself from Jay. Similar to game of like, I'm going to say things in hopes that we can, we can build a bridge, not a wall. And Jay dropped that line in there without, you know, again, saying Jay's name. And I guarantee you that's that, that, that bar is attached to that. Yeah. Uh, All chest, no legs. There you go. Yeah. The, that, so again, Jay is paying attention and he'll come back months, sometimes years later with a response that only you should get. Um, it, this, and I think the line after that is something I run the world, you know, so uh, just the entendres are, are crazy for Jay. Um, on Marcy Me, you, you want to break that yeah. one? Down? Yeah. So this is one that I didn't catch at the time. And, you know, I consider, you know, of the last five years, 444 is what I go to. Like that album, I mean, that's a benchmark. I think you, in a discussion on this podcast, consider one of Jay's top five, right? Yeah, okay. it's top three for me. I um I never realized this, especially being with somebody with ties to Philly, but I've, I've been reading a lot on the internet. It can always be a dangerous thing. But the lyrics on Marcy Me are, I'm talking about busting off the roof, hold a Uzi vertical, let the thing smoke. Y'all flirting with death, I'd be winking through the scope. And that, you know, if you catch the wordplay, very similar to what, you know, what we're talking about, um, you know, as it applies to, to, to neck and wrist, is aimed at Little Uzi Vert. And I mean, Little Uzi Vert by that point, 2017, huge breakout year. But Uzi um, has spoken a lot about just a lack of, um, you know, flirting with death and a overall just kind of lack of, um care for life and i think that that was kind of a warning shot of like don't do this i don't support that narrative that you're giving the people could be more to it than that could be maybe uzi didn't go with rock nation or something like that but in any event it's hard to not connect those bars to uzi yeah so on what it feels like uh fast forward a little bit now uh, jay's output has definitely slowed over the years you know he's had some features with Nas, like, you know, DJ Khaled, um, you know, but he just does a lot of his songs have come out on compilations or soundtracks of, of late. He's got a couple songs on the Heart of They Fall soundtrack, which is dope. Um, but one of my favorite songs of last year was What It Feels Like, a, another posthumous recording um, with, for, with Nipsey Hussle, the first time they collaborated. Um, sadly, because you know it would have happened given Nipsey was on Rock Nation and just their affinity toward one another, as expressed by Nipsey himself on, on Mailbox Money. 
But on that song, which is from Judas and the Black Messiah, um, Jay starts off Scorpion Bricks way before Aubrey's double disc, 40 on my lap, clap sound like 40 did the mix, you know? So uh, that's another kind of like, you know, shot at, at, at Drake, or at least like, you know, um, you know, I see you kind of thing, you know, 40 on my lap, like just a 40 caliber gun, just the entendres are always so on point. Later on though, you know, Ho gives it to the government. Like he, he just, it, it doesn't matter who it is. He says, IRS on my D, try to audit all my checks too late. You know, they, they hate when you become more than they expect. You let them, um, people storm your capital, put their feet up on your desk. And yet you talking tough to me, I lost all my little respect. Uh, hmm. So the interesting thing about this is that this album came out, uh, I think in, early february and so that means that hove laid that verse after january 6th and but before early february so it came out within like you know a week or two after him dropping the bar and this has been we've seen this more and more on jail with kanye supposedly jay laid the verse the day that kanye premiered it so the the time uh, window between things being recorded and released getting compressed which i think is dope yeah, I mean, I have this theory, you know, Jay is an avid art collector. He speaks about it a lot. Um, it's one of the things that Drake even criticized Jay about in that Rolling Stone interview that I think prompted some of these very disses we're talking about. And if you look at somebody like, you know, Jean-Michel Basquiat, you know, he has masterpieces that he toiled over for days and weeks and months. And there were things he did. I mean, he, had, he was, you know, the same old graffiti writer at times. There were things that he could do on the flip and have just as much cultural impact, which, of course, Basquiat never necessarily lived to see, realize like, you know, we have over the last 40 years. But I often look at Jay and I think that as an art collector, he realizes the value in kind of a throw up and kind of a, a quick scribble. And they often, you know, capture his thoughts in their realist moments. And I think even though we're talking about subliminals, that's very, very true here of like, I read something, I hear something said about me, let me address it right now, but let me address it, not as a tweet, not as an IG post, not as a, you know, a, a press run, let me do it in a verse, and I'm going to kind of make it an Easter egg, you know, I'm going to hide it in there, and maybe you'll see it, some are more obvious than others, but yeah, I think that's super duper interesting that he could have literally recorded that within, you know, days or hours of that incident happening, you know, the Capitol, January 6th. Yeah, yeah, man. So something that I didn't necessarily realize, you know, we that that was um, you know, more recently, but in 2018, you know, Jay put out another album, the Carter's album with his wife Beyonce, which did you ever look at that album as the third in a tri trilogy? Oh, interesting. So, uh so Jay does 444, Beyonce does Lemonade, and this is the third the so those are two separate where they're dealing with their issues one and this is the, the together album is that what it yeah. was so i was reading and, and sh shout out to pitchfork because i gotta say i never processed that as a thematic move of like okay beyonce's testimony jay-z's response boom and it it totally makes sense of everything is love as the title like you know what i mean yeah just an interesting and, and father they also set up the tour you know because right a tour off that and right. they performed songs from all three projects so yeah that's dope 
That's dope. Um, one of your favorite songs in it, and subsequently mine, is Boss. Um, and Jay has a lyric in there of, I'm paraphrasing, but brothers getting jerked, that ish hurts. I take it personally. Brothers rather work for the man than work with me. And that was in direct response to a financial conflict that was going on with him and Kanye regarding title, um, presumably regarding other business that they had together, those tour obligations um and jay again uses it to vent his frustration i'll take another one too from that album is friends um and jay raps i ain't going to nobody nothing when me and my wife beefing i don't care if the house if the house is on fire i'm dying brother i ain't leaving if y'all don't understand that we ain't meant to be friends and again you alluded to it from the quote-unquote rants of kanye's touring in um 2016 but Kanye did that famous interview with Charlemagne that he co-produced and he spoke candidly of, I was truly hurt that Jay and Beyonce didn't come to, I think it was, it was, um, was it Italy? The Kardashians got married. Um, doesn't matter, yeah. but Jay didn't show up and Jay's responding to that and being like, come on, B like, you know, I've put up this album now last year and you know, now, you know, if you didn't already, everything that was going on behind the scenes, my house was on fire and you're upset that I didn't RSVP. Yes. Like it's a brilliant line. And again, um, you know, he, he, he doesn't say the loud part loudly. He, it's all kind of cryptically in there. Um, it's just a dope line. In that same song, he kind of goes at Kim's family where he says, y'all put brothers on a t-shirt. It hurts you and never meet them. And that was when Kendall Jenner and Kylie Jenner were running a t-shirt line with unlicensed images of Biggie and Tupac. And again, I don't know if Jay and Pac ever met, um, but, you know, he's saying like, these are, these are my friends. And, and in that half a bar, I look at it as you're all, you know, there's, there's a, that's a loaded statement too, of like, what are you doing to the culture? You're putting this on there. You're not compensating people. You're not compensating the estate. Um, and you didn't even know these people like I did. And I just think that that bar is super powerful. So that song is, is two prong like that. Yeah, it's powerful social commentary, man. He it's it's not all just smoke. He actually talks about what he's really thinking and uh, expresses things that you know need to be addressed in the culture. And a perfect example of that is an ape shit. He says uh, from the same project, "I said no to the Super Bowl. You need me. I don't need you. Every night we in the end zone. Tell the NFL we in stadiums too." So that was in direct response to the year that Colin Kaepernick was being uh, blackballed from the league. Um, supposedly Jay had been asked to do the Super Bowl and he refused to do it. And he's, he's like, listen, I'm bigger than that. I don't need you. Uh, you guys need me. And, you know, we in stadiums too, you know, the, he and Beyonce did that tour in stadiums. And so they don't need the NFL or any other platform to make them bigger than they already are. Beyonce's done it. Like he didn't need to do it. And then, you know, truth be and like and, and him manifesting or at least speaking truth into the universe two years later, fast forward. And all of a sudden he is the, um, you know, the cultural director for the NFL. And he got a lot of flack for that in the beginning. Um, but, you know, in, in two years time, he created what many um, believe is, if not the best, the second best Super Bowl performance of all time, uh, you know, Dr. Dre's day with Kendrick, Eminem, 50, Mary J, uh, you know, Snoop, Snoop Anderson, Anderson Pack, just list goes on. Um, but that was Jay. That was directly Jay's influence. And so everything he said just in, you know, three lines was absolutely true. So it just speak, it shows the power 
in the words that he says. And it coincides. I mean, he was on SNL wearing, you know, a Kaepernick seven Jersey, um, you know, and, and he never, it's interesting that he made it as far as he did within the NFL after never mincing his words and lyrics and actions, all of that. And yeah, you're right. And I think it was, yeah, I think it, I think in 2019, he got, you know, that position with the NFL and, and this album came out in 2018. So you talk about manifestation, boom, you know, right, look yeah. no further. And, you know, uh, he speaks, uh, it's interesting too, because as much as he disses Kanye um, or has dissed Kanye over the years, it's almost like when two brothers are fighting, if one person like attacks another brother, then all of a sudden the two brothers are attacking you. Um, yes. You know, there's a song, uh, Meek Mill had a, a, a release um, on his album called What's, uh, Champions called What's Free. Uh, and that's to the same beat as What's Beef, right? If I mm-hmm. remember correctly, um, which was, you know, the biggie song. Um, and so Jay has a line where he says, no red hat, don't Michael and Prince me and yay. They separate you when you got Michael and Prince's DNA. A lot of people took that as a Kanye diss, but we reported, you know, to the contrary. Instead, what he was saying was, listen, um, I don't get down with the red hat. I'm not down with with MAGA and Trump thing, but don't try and Michael and Prince me. You know, back in the day, people really tried to create this divide between Michael Jackson and Prince. They were the two biggest. And for whatever reason, you know, uh, people always try and pit um you know when it's only a few they try and pit them against one another we see that with women all the time we've seen it with uh cardi and nikki and you know and lots of people right we saw it with comedians at the time but he's like nah you can't do that like basically only we can do that you can't do that Uh, but then later on in that same verse um he give he does give some bars to trump he says i ain't one of these house brothers uh, um you bought my house like a resort my house bigger than yours my spout, come on, man. Um, my route better, of course. Um, you know, uh, so with there, he's talking about Trump and how, uh, you know, he's got a better house than the White House. And, and, you know, Trump was always bragging about Melania, but like Jay's wife is Beyonce. So, you know, he's like, what are we talking about here? Um, and there's a double entendre too, right? Like Trump had, had, and it's amazing given their alignment sense, no surprise to anyone, but Trump on one of the um, debates, you know, had made comments about Ted Cruz's wife. Right. So Trump makes the, like, my wife's, my chick's bad. You're, you know, so Jay's even tying into that. Like, again, every line is related to something. Um, yeah. Really interesting. He said, I'm not one of these people you bought, which could be a line at Kanye, could be a line at, um, at uh, Jim Brown, at a lot of people. Candace, yeah. who were uh, supporting Trump at the time uh, for whatever reasons. But yeah, that one was packed with, with lines. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Jay gets political and social at times just as much as it's music. You know, another um, another guest verse, Top Off, um, the Khaled song. He went at George Zimmerman, you know, who, who killed Trayvon Martin. And he says, Jay's line is, meanwhile, Georgie Porgy Cinnamon sending me threats. Save your breath. You couldn't fight. You couldn't beat a flight of steps. Try that ish with a grown man. I'll kill that F boy with my own hand. Um, And there's real, you know, justified anger behind that. And again, it's one of those cases where I feel like Jay flipping a name isn't even giving that person the dignity of saying their name correctly. And it's just a, a power move, but you're absolutely right. I mean, Jay does it in music. He does it politically. He does it socially all over. Yeah. So why don't you take it home? 
give me one okay my voice is back and then more recently you know um talk about pandemic album flux capacitator with jay electronica which was another case i feel like that album was was made and jay was like oh, let me hop on it but he had a line in there you backstabbers are gonna turn me back to the oj old jay he's not who you want to see he's not as sweet as the old yay so I, I mispronounced that deliberately because that's another entendre of obviously oj's backstabbers also again to the lance rivera the unstabbing a lot of people speculated of backstabbers old jay term like there's play there and then you know this obviously dropped before you know a year before jail over a year he and yay were not on the greatest terms so he reminds you that the old J and the old Ye are different people. And the old J isn't as sweet as, you know, early Rockefeller era Kanye. It's just a really interesting line in there. So with all that said, man, can you think of another MC who has started it with more targets than Jay over the years? And can you think of anyone who is better at these sneak slash subliminal disses? Nobody's done it more and nobody's done it better. I think that, um you look at it and it's funny like um i think biggie was one of those people who laid it out there you know you even even look at you know and it, it's not so subliminal but biggie you know biggie had major impact even with the kwame line on unbelievable but we only got you know three four years of biggie music um and 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 biggie stuck to albums in a lot of ways jay created his own lane with this but it's so interesting to me because i think that Drake is absolutely a student of this game um, and does it often. But whereas, you know, Jay has a litany of people, I think Drake's, you know, circle of uh, his list of enemies is a little bit smaller, but this is a playbook that, that Drake absolutely has in his, you know, upper right-hand drawer. Yeah. Well, I'll say it uh, straight up. I think Jay is the king of sneak dishes, man. Uh, Word. Uh, really, really dope. So, Moving on to another song that came out. Um, I, I was super excited about this because this is one of my favorite rappers um, of the last 10, 15 years. And you know, we talk a lot about Kendrick here. I love all of TDE, you know, Absol. Um, J-Rock is the person who ushered me into that TDE movement. Schoolboy Q, um, a record executive who I, I won't name, um, once told me they thought that Q was going to be bigger than Kendrick. And uh, this was at uh, around the time of um, Oxymoron coming out. Okay. Uh, so, you know, Kendrick had just dropped Good Kid and Oxymoron uh, was, uh, I think, right after that. Um, and there was an argument, right? Like Q had potentially bigger records. Kendrick was more philosophical and conscious. And, you know, uh, but, um, it, you know, Q is not bigger than Kendrick, but I think that Q has is, is made his own career path. And it's one that has been phenomenal. Uh, Blink Face album was one of my favorite albums that year, if not my favorite. Um, he had an album recently called Crash Talk. And that was one that didn't speak to me the same way that his past projects had. It was the first one that kind of um, um, let me down a little bit in terms of like what I was expecting. Uh, he catered more to... I think the current sound rather than, you know, um, just doing a, a Q album, in my opinion. Uh, but it was still, uh, there's some stuff we put on the playlist and you know, his whole rollout was centered around golf. And by the way, he just 
did this incredible Tiger Woods commercial, which is super dope for Nike. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, no. That's dope. Yeah. Okay. He, he put out this commercial. It's a minute long where he's talking about all the barriers that Tiger Woods broke down and how people don't want people like him, look who look like him on the golf course. And Tiger Woods is the guy who allowed, you know, who helped break down those barriers. And it's running during the Masters, I presume? Probably. Yeah. yeah wow. A couple days before. So I'm sure it was set up for that. And it, it, it taps into a lot of that footage that you watch. It's super powerful. But um, he released a song called Soccer Dad out of nowhere. I hadn't heard any rumblings about Q music. And um, it starts off the Soccer Dad, my real life too wavy. While I cheer the stands, you little rappers go and wipe your mouth and go pull up your pants. <laughs> you know? So like he, he's saying he's a sac- soccer dad, but still and, and like reprimanding people like he's their dad and scolding people like and and but being gangster about it too, uh, like which is just so cute, man. Yeah. Then um, he says, "Pops never showed up. I thank him. It made my life great. The only child raised by women, I had to turn eight. You know, um, he always is talking about real life stuff in his songs, too. Um, and he, he doubles down on that a little later. He says, real life pain, what I'm talking. So I don't play rap. That issue, enjoy what I'm kicking. I'm going through that. Mm. The thing that has drawn me to Q the most is that he is one of the most authentic artists I have ever encountered um, in his music and his the way he conducts himself. Uh, I've interviewed him several times. I've I've met and interacted with him countless times. Uh, I got a great couple of photos of us just laughing because it's always just so funny. You know, he's that dude. Like, but he's gone through real stuff, man, and he's never ever glorified it—the violence or the drugs. He talks about the real consequences of both, and you know, I think he's the truest word, the truest sense of a gangster rapper. Like, really um, uh, talks about about what it really is, man. So um, to see him grow. And turn into a you know a golf person and a soccer dad and talk about that just as, as as really and proudly as he has talked about other aspects of his life, I think is super dope. Yeah, I mean, you know, and the title isn't necessarily the entire theme of the song. I mean, he's making fun of himself as he's done throughout his career. But yeah, this is I agree with everything you said. I thought Crash Talk was not a bad album, but it was a miss. And it was not to the level um like you had said for himself, I thought, I thought early in his career, just a tremendous artist like that early 2000 teens, Kendrick, Absol, Q, all putting out some really incredible work purely independently. Um, and I thought that that blank face was the peak of what a major label schoolboy Q could sound like. And this is kind of a balance of both those bars in there have a lot of heart and soul to them. But unlike oxymoron, it's, it's in a more positive light. And one of the things we know about Q is, you know, he takes a lot of pride in being a father. Um, so having made us wait apart from feature verses, this was well worth it. And it's a song that I like even more as I play it than when I first heard it. And I liked it then. And, and shout out to Tay Beast, Sky Hutch, and Foo. You know, Tay and Sky, I mean, that's TDE. That's royalty. I mean, that's 10 plus years of making some of those early, you know, top dog joints. And at a time where we know Kendrick is, you know, moved on to PG Lang, um, presumably has or, or reportedly has one album left with TDE. It's great to know that Schoolboy Q is in great shape because we all want to see that team keep on, you know, winning like that. Yeah, and to that point, I, I love the the way that was this was rolled out with no fanfare and also just matter of fact because uh, it, it's a powerful statement that that it's still business as usual for TDE. Mm-hmm. 
you know, um, the show must go on. I also wonder if the fact that they released this song means that a new Q album is coming soon. And if a new Q album is coming soon, I wonder if that means that Kendrick's album is not coming for a while because, you know, TD, or, you know, I guess it could go, could go either way, but like typically TDE likes to focus its attention on the project that it drops. And so the whole things for a minute to like work that current project. And so I'm wondering if this means that we're going to be waiting um, even longer for the next Kendrick album. Yeah. One can wonder, but to your point overall, I mean, TDE keeps you always on your toes. You never know for all the, all that we know they could drop on the same damn day. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. crazy. Crazy. Um, so, you know, a couple of other just points of note this week, um, Kanye stepped down from Coachella. Yeah. Are you, were you planning on going to Coachella this year? Nah, man, I think uh, my Coachella days are over. <laughs> I was talking about that just the other day. You know, it's cool and everything, but it's a trek. Um, and yeah, nah, so no. I've never gone. I've, I will say this. If I no. paid to like get Kanye and they subbed in the weekend, I wouldn't be happy. Yeah, yeah I would be a little bit bummed. Um, but yeah, I've never, uh, even in my single days, I never looked at Coachella as a place for me. But um, I did see other, Kanye at the at, at Coachella. Back oh, you in, did? I think it was like 2012 or something like that. Free Jesus. Yeah, it was a dope show. It was a really, really dope show. Um, like it's everything you would expect from Kanye, grand yeah. lights and stuff like that. Um, and that's no shade to the weekend. I'm just saying, um, they're just very different artists. Like it's not. Yeah. It's a weird. It's a weird uh, substitute for me. It's a weird swap. I wonder how that's working. You know how if fans were uh, super upset. But um, another concert news. Just want to give a shout out. We mentioned his name um, earlier, but you know LL Cool J is reviving the Rock the Bells festival. He's headlining with DJ Z Trip, one of my favorite mashup DJs, and has been working with L for years. Other headliners. It's a pretty dope lineup. Um, August sixth, but it's Ice Cube, Jada Kiss, Little Kim, Rick Ross. Fat Joe and Remy Ma. Jada Kiss is there. So is Dipset, um, Nori, and then um, a couple more that will really resonate with AFH fans um, Scarface and Diggable Planets. And for Scarf, oh, go ahead. It's a smart lineup because um, you know, everyone you mentioned has either got a strong social presence or has been on Versus. It's almost yeah. like a, a great, a greatest hits of Versus. So uh, you can see LL tapping into that cultural zeitgeist with it. Very, very true. And what's cool about Face is he's doing the 20th anniversary tour of The Fix, which, you know, I know, I think The Diary got five mics in the source, but The Fix is the one album that he didn't release on Rap A Lot in that run. It was Def Jam album, Jay on it, Kanye produced, Dub, you know, Dub C. It's, I love that album. I think it's, it's, it's incredible. I don't know that I would go and say it's his best, but it's, it's definitely top three. And I love that, you know, Face, who's come such a long way personally, professionally you know been through covid gone into politics all these different things is coming back and honoring a classic like that and the um the event is hosted by roxanne shante with music by dj scratch again another versus alum and and the finisher mr c so that should be uh dope maybe even you and i will uh link up out there in august i would love to do that i love i love that scarface album it's probably my favorite too you know the interesting thing too being in cali is i've been listening to the radio k-day Mm. And there's a Crush Groove tour uh, that's coming too. Have you heard about that? No. There's a Crush Groove fest. I'm not sure who all's on it, but Ice Cube is also uh, a headliner for that. And it sounds like it's the same demo. So I'm curious as to how those two are going to play with one another and like what the distance is between them. But 
It's dope to see um, fest, two, two festivals dedicated to this demographic. Absolutely. Um, you know, also in, in kind of um, hip hop legend news, you know, pioneers, Kid Creole, just want to update. There's a comprehensive article on our site. Um, Kid Creole 2017, we've talked about it a couple of times, was involved in a New York City Midtown um, confrontation with somebody that the other person was stabbed, allegedly, fatally. Um, and this week, Kid Creole was acquitted of second degree murder, but convicted of manslaughter, um, which is interesting because if you read uh, 2021 piece that the source published, you know, Kid Creole has maintained his innocence all along, said there's surveillance tapes that corroborates his part of the story. And that there's a good chance this man that he did have, you know, a, some level of an altercation with perhaps um, died to injuries unrelated to that incident. I encourage anyone to read the story. You know, we, we talk a lot about justice and uh, injustice, and it's just worth reading. But Kid Creole, you know, a, a, a Grammy inductee as a, as a legend, you know, as an icon award, and also somebody who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And this story absolutely matters. You know, I know he might not have been the dominant voice in Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, but Kid Creole, you know, he's a brother of Melly Mel, um, very influential to this culture. Yeah, it's a really sad, man. We reported on it back in the day. Just the whole circumstances sound strange and avoidable, um, you know, but um, it's, it's, it's sad all around. Yeah, it is. It is. And he could face up to 25 years. Um, he's already spent the last five, you know, uh, sitting on Rikers Island, uh, just about five years awaiting this trial. Um, before we bounce, you want to talk about new music real quick? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so I really, you know, shameless plug for the AFH playlist. Um, you know, shout out to you. You often run point on that, but it's in a tremendous place. We just crossed 15,000 subscribers. So I love that. I love the fact that we are competing with the big gun, so to speak, and having a, a stake in this culture and curating dope music. Um, but there's been a lot of, a lot of great music that's come out. Um, I'll start with a project that I never saw coming. Um, I'm in Pittsburgh today. Uh, Girl Talk. I just mentioned Z Trip. Girl Talk is another DJ that, you know, became a legend for mashing up different cultures as a DJ and then a producer. And he, over the years, did stuff with Waka Flocka, Freeway, different people. But he put out a project called Full Court Pressed with Big Crit and Smoke Dizza. And similar to the way of Jay-Z on the Jay Electronica album, Wiz Khalifa is a dominant featured guest on the album, too. So, you know, Crit, Dizza, Wiz. You know, I've seen this as billed as, as Wiz, Crit and Dizza and like all of them like uh yeah but it's different because they're not all on each other's songs and then yeah. but you're right you know yeah. but it's really cool came out on Big Beat which I didn't even realize was still uh, a label you know shout out to Craig Kalman um but I really it's been enjoyable you know it definitely has these are not artists I mean with Wiz I think you think of, of party vibes but you know with Crit he's made some strip club records and Dizza makes you know that Dizza music smokers club type vibe but it came together, and my favorite song on the album is the one you put on the playlist called Revenge of the Cool. Yeah, the dope thing is that these guys have collaborated a lot in the past. Like, this is almost like a full circle moment because in that 2010, 2011 mixtape era, you know, Crit was here and um, Kush and Kush. Andre and mm -hmm. all that, and, you know, all that George, stuff. George Kush. Yeah, yeah that's when um, they were, and I think they were talking about making a joint project back then. So to see them do that just now 
and seemingly out of nowhere is, is pretty dope. Yeah, and with Girl Talk, too, who, I mean, you know, I know you were a fan of, um, you know, Cosmo Baker and The Rub. Like, if you were in Pittsburgh in the mid-2000s, I was at a lot of bar and kind of like house parties with Girl Talk with DJ. I know I said I wasn't in it for Coachella, but those parties were amazing. And, you know, shout out to Greg. And it's just a good look all around. So I've enjoyed that. And that's the track to start with, though, Revenge of the Cool. Um, Also, you want to talk about the Vince Staples album? Yeah, Vince, I hadn't heard anything about this either, but Vince Staples put out an album called Ramona Park Broke My Heart. And uh, Vince has actually been pretty prolific over the last couple of years. Um, his album, um, his last album, I can't remember the title, but uh, he had a song, um, Trippin', um, that that we had on the, uh, on the playlist for a year. Uh, Taking Trips, called Taking Trips. And I just took it off literally um, on Friday. I could, every time I saw it, I couldn't bear to take it out because it's just such a dope song. But um, getting this project was great. It's just got you know DJ Mustard's part of it, Ty Dolla Sign, little babies on it. Um, when Sparks Fly is is, a, is one of the uh, the highlights, and A Free the Homies, um, you know those are songs that are on the playlist. I think that people who are Vince Staples fans will be really pleasantly surprised by this. It's one of my favorite on first listen of his albums, period, in his catalog. And I think that's just going to grow. But what was your take on it? Yeah, I agree. I'm only one listen deep on the album. I'm a few listens on the inclusions you put on the playlist. But Vince Staples, there's a few artists in hip hop. You know, one of the age old questions is like, what's an artist that everyone that you look up to really likes that you might not see the light? And, you know, when I was a kid, it was always Raekwon, like, you know, on the first Wu-Tang album, you know, gravitated towards meth, like Riz's rhymes, always been an Inspector Deck fan. And then over time, as you get the knowledge, like I've come to, you know, you asked me on the right day, Ray's my favorite member. Vince Staples is somebody for the last decade that so many people I respect sing his praises. And absolutely, he's made songs that I've liked, but they hasn't made projects that have, you know, really hit me over the head. And this one really seems to, because he's really in his own lane. Um, there's so much depth and vulnerability and just honesty to Vince. And that comes across in this album. Um, so it's one I owe quite a few more listens to. But at first glance, I'm like, damn, this one is, you know, is kind of earmarked towards my, my list going into the rest of the year. Yeah, Vince is a star, man. I've said for a long time, just looking at his interviews, he's so funny and quick-witted. I think that he... I'm going to go on a limb and say that he's going to go the Joe Budden Noy route. And ultimately he's going to be known as a personality slash uh, actor or host or whatever it is more than he is a uh, musician because he's just a super talented dude. His voice is so unique and funny and sharp. I don't think that there's many out there like him. Yeah. I mean, over the years, to your point, I'll watch a Vince Staples interview with Sway or the breakfast club, or he, you know, calls into Joe Budden from time to time. And he makes you want to listen to the music. And the there's two other people that have had that impact on in my years as a hip hop fan. One is Killer Mike, and, and Killer Mike was phenomenal at that in the years before Run the Jewels, when he was an independent artist who you know was kind of kicking in the underground, you know, between Outcast and whatever was next. He stayed relevant through just being so damn real. The other is David Banner, and and David, you know, has always been somebody who I make it a point to tune into his interviews, his podcasts. And over the years, it's made me a fan of not just his music, but his early group Crooked Letters and everything that he's a part of. 
So I love that quality because that's why interviews and media runs should exist. So mm, yeah, for sure. Um, another note just on the album tip is uh, Paul Wall and Terminology put out a record that's a collaboration. You know, Paul Wall in recent years has been kind of running around um, the static selector circle, but it's called Start to Finish. In addition to a ton of static production, Pete Rock did a joint. Bun B, uh, an artist you're very passionate about, Fly Anakin, Crooked Eye, King Crooked, Ways P and Nems are on it. I really enjoyed this. You know, I um, few artists in hip hop are more prolific than terminology. Seems like every year he puts out half a dozen projects. And I, um, you know, I loved his politics as usual, his debut album back in like 2006 with a, a wish list of great producers. But I think he's an artist who really thrives in the collaborative space. Um, he did a joint with Little Fame back in the day from MOP called Physiology. And this is one, I mean, in theory, like you got a rapper from Texas, guy from um, Massachusetts, you know, New York by way of mass, and they make it work. And I've been enjoying that one in the car, especially. Yeah. Paige Kennedy, um, artist uh, who's been a friend to us for a number of years now. We've had him on, the, on our playlist quite a bit. And the most recent one is a remake of the grand finale featuring my son, King Crooked. Um, 3D Nati. Nati, yeah, a bunch of, a bunch of folks. Um, Graf. Yeah. Uh, was Papoose on that too? Um, Graf. I don't Graf. think Pap was, yeah. He had a lot of people. In, and it Oh, was, Locksmith too. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, Locksmith, right, right. Um, and he recently put out a song called Front Page. Uh, interesting thing is, so Page is also an actor. A lot of people may know him from Weeds. Um, uh, a show where he played this character, uh, kind of character U-turn. He's been in, I think it was the Meg, um, uh, the Shark Earth, movie, and yeah. and a bunch of other projects. He's a he's a very established actor, but he's a great rapper too. From Detroit, comes from that ethos, you know, of you know Elzai and um, you know Royce and all the great MCs there, and really prides himself on his music. And he put out a song called Front Page. It's very personal. I believe personally that it's one of his best records yet. Um, you know, we uh, texted about that this week and I told him that I think it's an incredible record the the sound, the substance, everything. And so tremendous growth for him as an MC. We had him on our showcase at AFH uh, for AFH at South by Southwest back in 2016, I believe it was 17. Yeah. 17 with Els High, um, King Crooked, uh, King Crooked, Nick Grant, uh, Rhapsody, Ninth. Uh, it was a dope showcase. Page was a, a great part of that. And then the last was what we mentioned earlier Method Man, Red Man, KRS One, Live from the Meth Lab. Um, this is a true, like, ode to the boom bap. Uh, each MC comes with its finest. Uh, just really dope song and a uh, big one on the playlist, too. Yeah, Meth still ain't cursing. And this, I, I had to look. You know, Meth hasn't worked with KRS apart from one song on the Bullworth soundtrack, the title joint with Cam and everyone else, and, and Red appeared on I Got Next. But this is a banner collaboration. And, you know, Chris released an album already this year. But I have to say, you know, Chris has fire in his belly. It's good production for him. I really like the song. And if you press play on our playlist, uh, if you listen to this shortly after this comes out, it's the first thing you hear. And um, shout out to Jojo Bellagrino, too, who people may remember from back in the day. He does the chorus. Um, the last song I'm going to mention is my song of the week, though, and it's one we haven't talked about, you and I, I think I texted to you yesterday, but it's called Alive Ain't Always Living by Quelle Chris, part of the Mellow Music Group family. Some may know him as husband to Gene Gray, but even apart from that, I mean, Quelle 
for really the last decade has been one of the most interesting MC producers, phenomenal at both, um, but has this irreverence and this ability to say super uh, profound things. Um, and he's kind of a, a blender, um, somebody who lived on the West Coast, the East Coast, Michigan, um, you know, has that ability to kind of be a gap between Billy Woods and Odyssey and Alchemist and all of those. But this song is the first single off his upcoming album. Man, I might venture to say, apart from Johnny P's Caddy, it's my second favorite song of the year. I listened to it, no lie, 12 times yesterday. Wow. And um, I'm really eager to hear that album. So shout out to Quelle and Mellow Music Group and, and all of that. But do you have a song of the week? I haven't heard it yet. Uh, I'm a press play right after this podcast. Did a great job setting that one up. Um, my song of the week is Schoolboy Q Soccer Dad, man. I love that song. Um, I, I, like I said, I'm just such a huge fan of Q. I'm so happy to hear him back. I think that it portends a great album. So yeah, very excited about that. Word, man. Well, yo, this was another great episode. Thank you for 80 episodes, man. And here's to 80 more. Absolutely, man. Yo, always a pleasure. Likewise, man. Until we do it again. All right, peace. Peace.